It's Monday night at 10 p.m., and that means a brand-new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comic and politics. Um, you know, before we kick things off with our guests, I just want to say a quick something. Uh, last Tuesday, the U.S. was shaken with the election of Donald Trump as president, um, and that election, I think, reinforced what a lot of us knew and a lot of us knew through experience that racism is alive and well in the United States. Um, and that means we have to double down our efforts and uh, kick some ass and uh, shine a spotlight on that, which makes things uh, like we're going to discuss tonight even more important. Um, but before we get to our guests, I want to in- uh, introduce my co-host, Alana. How are you holding up? Well, uh, was just marching in the streets with 15,000 of my fellow New York people uh, this past weekend saying that no one is going to get deported. That we was going to stop now, and we're looking out for each other. So, trying to keep focused on what we can do, and uh, really looking forward to having our guests talk with us today because this has been one of the really exciting socially engaged comics of the year. Um, so let's let's introduce them. Yeah. So for those who don't know the series, Black is a new comic book series. The second issue came out, I believe, last week. Uh, that really throws out mm-hmm. the question of what if only black people had superpowers? Um, it was kickstarted, and I'm proud to say I was one of the Kickstarter uh, folks behind it because it was such an awesome uh, idea and concept and has a hell of a team behind it. Uh, joining us tonight is Kwanzaa Asayefo. Hopefully I pronounced that right. If, if not, you can feel free to mock me. Uh, and Tim Smith, three, who uh, are two of the folks behind this awesome series, uh, which saw its first issue sell out of its 22,000 copy print run, which is pretty impressive. So uh, Kwanzaa was a digital editor at both Marvel and DC Comics, best known for launching the la- latter's Zuda imprint. And uh, Tim has been working in the comic industry for over 15 years, created and self-published Red After the Party, has worked on hit titles for publishers such as Marvel, Archer, and DC, to name a few. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, you know, to kick things off, really just a simple concept or a simple question um, I remember it was, I believe, New York Comic Con that there was this, you know, graffiti on on the sidewalks, and it just said it was what if uh, I think it was what if black people had superpowers, something really simple. And going to the, the show, it 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 caught me over and over and over again, and I thought it was just so brilliant and so simple in its question, and, and it had me like really intrigued as to what it was uh, what was going on because at that point the series wasn't announced yet. So uh, take us through like how the actual series came about and how everyone came together. Sure. Um, so uh, that that piece of graffiti was really just intended to do exactly what that, to do exactly that, which is entertaining the question of what if only black people had superpowers. It was something that sort of was a mix. It was inspired by a mix of my experience working in the comic book industry, but also being a comic book fan. You know, so in that, the material that I was reading didn't really have the same characters that I saw in my life and didn't really come from that perspective either. And in my workplace, that was not present either. So this is sort of mm-hmm. where it really made me think a, a lot about the fact that there was this sort of, you know, omission of voices of color. And, I mean, we could apply that to, like, gender and a whole bunch of other things too in comics. So that was really sort of the inspiration of it and looking at, you know, a lot of what 
was present in comics at the time and still is, which is, you know, these superheroes as, you know, um, fringe characters or characters who are considered other and it not really being true because, you know, they wore costumes that they could take off and then blend in. So they weren't really other. They sort of like put on the, you know, costume of other and then they could just, you know, go chill and like walk through any neighborhood they want to drive down any street and their lives were, you know, pretty okay. And I thought that wasn't really an accurate parallel. So that was really the kind of core inspiration just coming up with Black. I love that so much. That makes me so happy. You know, a lot of the dialogue around the need to expand diversity in comics and the superhero genre has been that, you know, a lot of the uh, beloved, you know, progressive comics of our youth are just really dealing in metaphors for diversity without actually having actual like multiple races and orientations and gender expressions and all that actually represented on the page. And then you guys looking at the fact that these, that the costumes that people were wearing are marking themselves as other by choice in a, in a public way. I think that that's really sharp, really sharp. And I also like that you guys are just questioning, like, you know, the, the whole baseline assumption about who gets to have power in the world and who is special, right? When we, when we were talking about um, the Doctor Strange movie, a lot of the discourse, which we actually haven't done a podcast about, and I don't think we will need to at this point, really, but, um, you know, about how it's all about this, like, with the white chosen one story that repeats <laughs> itself throughout, right, right, yeah. throughout American pop culture. And you guys are literally throwing that on its head and saying, no, you guys aren't the chosen one. You're actually not special and nobody cares. You're just trying to dominate everybody. And the people who have something unique to bring to the table are not you. Um, and I love that. I, that's such a great and fresh perspective to have. So those are the reasons why I was initially excited by the concept. So oh, thanks. That's, that, that's awesome. It, it's kind of funny, too, that you know, like you, you say it that way, because I think like presenting it as like a you're not special thing. I mean, I, I, I often fall to like the, you know, the, the mantra of Jack from Fight Club. But, you know, <laughs> outside mm. of that, I feel like that's, that's a weird challenge that we hear from more liberal-minded people towards people who aren't so. But I, I think the, the real tone of it is that like you're just like the rest of us. It's not that you're not special. Yeah, you probably are special. You might actually be a great human being if you weren't really trying to like elevate your position over everybody else's. If you weren't trying mm-hmm. to mansplain, if you weren't trying to make it about you first, if you weren't trying to make the narrative always center around your position and your like presence. And I think that's really like what not just in this comic book, but I think in life we need to like kind of work more towards because I, I, I understand that like knee jerk reaction to, to, to people to be like, you know, stop oppressing me <laughs> at the same time. You want to say like, but you're welcome here too. You know, just don't be a dick. Right. Sorry. Can <laughs> I say that on the radio? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You guys swear. It's all, it's all good. good. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> it's <been> now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I when I think about it too, I think like when you when you have a character that like I look at like movies like Avatar and the Last Airbender, right? Where you're looking at the cartoon of it and you see these characters are in one country and, and it's this is one thing going on and then you, you look at the movie and then you see like, Oh, wait a minute, that's not what the what the cartoon was showing. Like you have to stop and wonder, like, who 
who makes these decisions and why why are these decisions made if a character has to be a certain way and go to another land to learn a new way of doing things and then bring it back or like I, I like the way that we can present black as as having these characters show that they have power uh and not having have to have it been given to them to to be able to obtain it. That's great. Um, I mean, one of one of the other things is just like looking at the cast of characters that you guys are building from the start. You have a lot of diversity in that cast in terms of, of characters' backgrounds and where they're coming from in life and people's race and gender and class and things like that is even represented. Uh, and even the cop who is the one cop who we don't hate, like, you know, she's a woman of color and she's from Bed-Stuy and she's talking about how our community is represented and how it isn't. And it's, it's definitely offering a lot more complexity there. Yeah. And, and it's kind of an interesting point too, because, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted black to be in black and white was because I didn't want the comic book to impress too much onto the reader, you know, because I already knew that writing a book like this, people were going to interpret things, you know, through their own like lens, whether it's, you know, to maintain their position or whether it's to just be open to what they're reading. And it's interesting that you see her like that because uh, other people have seen it and thought like, oh, well, of course you're going to portray this woman of color as the good cop. And I'm thinking to myself like, well, no, one, you don't even know the inspiration of this character, but Two, like what I'm actually trying to convey is that there are police officers who have this perspective. You know, I don't want to, I just show police officers as this one-sided abusive, like, you know, group of overpowering people. I wanted to show a side that really cares and a side that's really trying to like find answers. And in the case of, you know, Detective Ellen Water, she's trying to find this kid who, you know, really has a lot of questions floating about like around about like what happened to him. Mhm. Um, yeah, you know, one of the things also I, I think in an interview that you guys gave uh during New York Comic Con, we were talking about the visual importance of the scene in which uh the one of the one of the major characters is revealed to have superpowers, um, and the imagery of uh, a black guy coming back from seemingly coming back from the dead. Uh, and was that one of the central visual cues for the story, or was that something that kind of came through as you wrote it? Oh, no, that was definitely central. I think, yeah, Tim, like, that was pretty much in the story from the get-go. <laughs> I think that was, like, mm-hmm. that's probably one of the yeah. few things that never changed. Mm-hmm. Hey, that, that, goes, there, that image yeah. goes back for us, like, years and years and years uh of, of trying to make sure we got that right and and thinking it thinking it through. <laughs> yeah, tell me about that. Like, how did you guys begin discussing that? Was there a specific moment in like the world in which something went down, and you're like, "This is what we need to do to counteract it," or how did that idea form itself? Uh, I don't. That's the that's kind of like the troubling thing about that scene because you know, considering how long ago Tim and I came up with you know, aspects of this story, the fact that it's still relevant today is, you know, we we feel like, okay, we're definitely speaking to something that's going to help and elevate this, but wow, it's really sad that we're still having this conversation. Like this this is still happening and this is still relevant. 
I feel like in kind of recent events that there's almost like this sort of relevance curse on black. Where it's like, I feel like uh, just, could, the, could the real world just stop reflecting this this much? Like, I want some of this to be a bit of fiction, but it's not, you know? Yeah. It is funny yeah, to absolutely. think back on that. Like, so many, like, we did this, this, uh, uh there was artwork that, you know, we obviously, uh, did to just make sure we we flush things out in in the beginning and and just work out our ideas from our head to reality right on paper and with paper and pencil and computer and some of those like Kwanzaa just said the same uh, way of thinking from back then it still translates over to today and it's kind of like it's a bit scary kind of to think about it like that to see how some of the stuff is still relevant no matter how how long ago it's been. It's still on the tip of our tongue, and it's still, like, I guess easier for us to get out as long as we get out in the right way. Yeah, disturbingly, tragically timely, I think, is is, is how I would put that. How did you guys find each other as a creative team? Um, how did you get meet each other and team up and decide to work on this project? Well, I've, I've known Kwanzaa for a while, so when he approached me, about the idea. We were at a Comic-Con, and I had a table. So I'm showing off, you know, my work and I guess trying to do do the basic thing that that comic artists do or comic creators do at shows, uh, show your work off, talk to people, uh, network, things like that. And Kwanzaa came over, and we caught up, and he told me about this idea. And it was just, just, it's just pretty much like how the Kickstarter went and how other people hear it. I was so like on the first bit, it was powerful enough uh, for me to just take it from the few words that he he said to me, and I can run with my imagination and kind of fill in the blanks to see what I would do with it. And when you have something like that that just really clicks, it it definitely is something you should you know work on and and try to develop. And I really like how you guys are both people who have been through the comic industry and, like, know the sort of stories that have been able to tell major publishing game and, and the sort of stories that you needed to tell were, were, were something that kind of existed outside of what you were going to be able to publish elsewhere. I think that that definitely helps us to, well, being in the comic industry, like, I'm not going to speak too much on Kwanzaa's side, but he's been in the industry for a long time and has seen a lot of things. And so have I, so when you, when you've been in an industry uh, and you see these stories and you get to hear how they're developed and you talk to other creators who are connected to these, these other, these other characters that these mainstream characters, you can imagine what you would do or what it would be like as an alternative to some of these characters uh, mm-hmm. or stories and concepts. So like when Kwanzaa and I, when Kwanzaa presented the idea, um, uh, it, it was like, you know what? That's something that's like a big what if. Like, what if uh, this or that happened um, instead of getting bitten by some, you know, bug or, or something like that? What if, <laughs> what if that? What if that bit you in a different way or bit a different person from another country or, or something like that or another background, another way of thinking? And I think everybody thinks of that, like when they read comic books. Or at least mm-hmm. maybe not everybody, but there are people who would think that. When I was a kid, I thought that. I thought, oh, what if what if I had that power? You know, what if I was, 
you know, trapped inside of a spaceship and, and something happened to me, like what would I do that was relevant to my world that I understood immediately? So when you have like years and years and years of that as a kid reading it and then working in the industry, you're automatically going to like think of the alternative. Well, I think that yeah, a lot like of us reading add, comics. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to add on to that just to to say to Tim, but it's like I think you and I would automatically think of the alternative. Well, yeah, that's when I had to say like <laughs> yes. some people <laughs> may. <laughs> some people are just no, awesome. That, yeah. Like this isn't that. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, no, I that's think exactly what I'm is that a lot of people don't think of the alternative, you know, because they just don't have that per perspective. I mean, they don't have that perspective because they're used to everything being written exactly for them and for what they think that they should be able to get. I mean, reading comics and consuming media, if you're female, you know, if you're queer, if you're anything other than, like, a rich white dude who's Christian, like, you know, we're always we're always looking at, like, how are we in, in the story or not in the story or what would it be like if we had a piece in it. So I think that's probably why we have so many creators now coming with that perspective and you know, doing more interesting work, frankly, than what the old guard was doing, if you ask me. Yeah, and it's mm. and it's interesting too that they are have only picked up on that in the last two years in a very you know commodified commercial way. But you know, the the real surprise and challenges is like that comics is art, and that the fact that. You, they've stuck with the default for so long is just sort of like it, it speaks volumes to something that's very like insular and in what we call the comics industry which we're always talking about Marvel and DC really when we say that and it's like other derivatives but it's it, it's kind of surprising because in, in, in our world of art you're always sort of like breaking things and, and building them anew and for a good long time you know that form of art and expression was really stagnant and it's surprising, mm-hmm. you know. One of the things that surprises me with that is, like, in today's uh, comic book audience or just viewing audience of all medium, like video games, movies, mu- uh, music too, and 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 comics on a, on the subject, is that there is a hunger, there is a want to see something else uh, on the shelf or another idea. There there is some type of longing to see a different way a story can be told by everybody. You know, you don't have to do it and feel like it's only going to target these people. It could target anyone. I think anyone, people just recognize a good story. Yeah. And I actually think, you know, that's commercially smart too, because I think what we're also seeing, and again, why you're seeing larger publishers take notice, is that people are hungry for these new narratives. That's why shows like Empire are really resonating with people. That's why shows where you have a more diverse cast or where the lead characters are not the what we've been told is a default, which is like white male, are really breaking through because people are, are sick of seeing the same thing. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I've seen mm. that before. White guy saves everyone. Yeah, it was called The Last Samurai, Matt Damon. Like, we, we did it. Like, we've seen, we've seen this film before. And it's like, we'll, we'll let it slide with, like, certain characters like, you know, Doctor Strange. Because, like, yeah, that's who he is. You know, he's that guy. But yeah. when you're going into something where you actually have the ability to tell a story from, like, a certain culture's perspective or, you know, what the heck? 
maybe it'd be interesting if the like guy who comes and saves all of China is like a black dude, you know, or maybe, <laughs> maybe just like a Japanese guy. He's just like, oh, I just came from across here, but I got this really dope plan to fix your problem. Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, it's things- kind of ridiculous. One of the things that surprised me, actually, and I don't know why I was surprised by it, but I was surprised by it, was that Egyptian movie that came out, like, what was it, oh. earlier in the year? You know what I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. Gods of Egypt. Yeah. yeah. One that totally flopped. Totally right. Flopped. So it, when it came out, I'm like, all right, for me, for me, I can't speak for every black person, right, or, or, or anybody, but even from Egypt or whatever, but for me, I was looking at it like, here's another movie of, 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 of white people, you know, playing a role with British accents in ancient Egypt, all right, go. You know, let's see some cool special effects, whatever, go if you want to go see it. But then, like, the the rest of the audience was thinking the same thing. Like, I didn't even see that movie, so I don't actually know if it's British accents or not, but it, it, to make a point, mm-hmm. it's like the the movie flopped, and it flopped for a reason. It flopped because it was the same cut of the mill, uh, like, whitewashing over over a movie like that, and I was kind of surprised to see that people kind of looked at that and said, that's the same thing we've always seen. Right. And in that case, they didn't even, like, really whitewash it with, like, actors who, like, we, like, really knew. (laughs) It's not like it was like, Tom Hanks. (laughs) Which would be awesome if Tom Hanks was in it. I would go check that out. (laughs) And he does a British accent. It would be, like, fantastic. Uh, for well, for you I'm guys, really excited that, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say for for you guys, you know, working, you know, you have worked with the big two and and within, well, I don't know if you want to call it like the mainstream or whatever uh, comic part of the industry. Like, have you did you try to push for projects like this while working there? Um, <laughs> and, and if you don't no. want to, you know, blame me. I had to laugh at that. I totally get it. And you can <laughs> be vague. Yeah. So I. I I tested my theory that it would be rejected <laughs> because <laughs> I was very confident that it would be. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's just like, I can't even seriously say that I pitched it because it's just like, you'll never do this. But yeah, what yeah, the hell? Yeah, yeah. Let me prove myself right. <laughs> like, the only thing that could have happened is it could have gotten accepted. I was like, no, I was just kidding. No, really. I don't want you to ask this at all. Yeah, I wouldn't but, even you know, like... Yeah, right, knowing how right. the industry is, knowing how the industry is, 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 is precisely you know why we created something like Black because you know the, the white space was obvious you know to anybody who wasn't you know in positions of you know homo, homogeneousness. <laughs> That's like a word, you know, like it, it's the sort of thing where you know like a lot of that mainstream industry has like blinders on, and and it's not surprising to see you know, a company like DC try and branch out, fail, and then have to double down on, you know, their characters to the point where they're, like, publishing them twice a week. You know, it's like, yeah. here's, here's, here's more of the same. <laughs> but you, <laughs> is, if you weren't buying enough of it before, we will give you more of the same to buy. It's Yeah, which isn't to say that, like, we don't love these characters and stuff, and they're fun, but it's, 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 How much? it's almost kind of sad, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. From the big two, you're looking at any 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 minority character they probably had around for for decades, decades. And if that character still hasn't made a major contribution 
just to the universe of the characters that they live in, the fictional universe, they haven't even made a financial contribution to those companies. It's like me pitching an idea won't get too far. Yeah. <sighs> Gosh. Well, you guys have been really shaking things up with the success of this comic. I mean, it was sold out at my store, and they ordered more. You know, um, I know people have been really, like, just having it come off the shelves, and the buzz has been enormous for it. Like, you guys clearly have an audience that you found who wanted something different and topical like this. And also very well made, I would add, as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll give that to Black Mask. I know nothing about paper stock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that. I mean, just the whole the whole project is, like, put together very well, you know. Um, everything is, like, there's such a range of quality when it comes to smaller publishers. And, you know, Black Mask stuff has just been fantastic when it comes to the quality of the comics they've been putting out. But you guys had already done all this before you took it to the publisher, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we, you know, Tim and I have been working on it for years. But, you know, in, in my time working through the industry, like, Jamal who's our interior illustrator and car who's done like our fantastic jaw dropping covers have, you know, been people I've known for a long time during that time. And they were definitely talent that I wanted to work with in particular, because even before this recent, like shaming of Marvel into actually hiring black freelancers, (laughs) um, I knew that these guys were amazing masters of the craft, but weren't seeing their equal share of, you know, work and presence in the industry, and which is funny because mm-hmm. I think if you're a comics nerd, you hear these names like you, you're just like, of course, like those guys. But it's like, but really, when you sit there and look at it, like the the names that you've seen over the last ten, ten years, twenty years, are still the same names, you know. And yeah. it's only now that you're really, you know, getting like to know Brian Stelfreeze, and like it's only now that you're really like starting to see these other people emerge. And even then they're like, you know, these companies are hard pressed, like where they have to you know, go and essentially, you know, hire outside of the industry, which is cool. Cause like you want to like, you know, mix things up, but they have to hire outside of the industry just to find, you know, someone because they haven't made it easy for anybody of color to really have a living. You know, yeah, that's stuff. been a really complicated and interesting issue, and I've been glad to hear different voices speak about it. You know that they how they basically have to be guilt tripped by America's leading public intellectual into bringing in diverse talent, and then when they do, it's someone who's from outside of comics, um, and they still don't have you know women who are like from comics and who are people women of color like in an ad- in anywhere near an adequate number of folks. You know, I contrast that to, like, what obviously has been happening with, like, at Lion Forge with, you know, we have, like, uh, what, what is what is his title? I don't remember what Joseph's title is. Senior editor. Yeah. Senior editor, yeah. Senior editor who's African-American and seemingly, like, effortlessly pulled in amazing, diverse talent, like, to relaunch this line. Um, like, some of the hottest writers around and folks in comics. And, like, see, look, look, you can just do this. This is not... It's not brain surgery. It just requires creativity, and you know, publishing is supposed to require creativity. So that that's really not too much to ask. One hopes. And it's kind I'm getting of off funny because, like, but, you know, Joe, Joe and I are are, are colleagues, and um, we laugh about that because it's, that's exactly our interpretation of it as well. It's like it's not that it's not that hard, guys. 
you're actually not making that effort. You're not making mm-hmm. that effort. And, and I, and I say that like, you know, with calling out like names, like Tom Brevoort, you're not making that effort. <laughs> Alex, you know, Axel Alonzo, you're not making that effort. Jim, Dan, you're not mm-hmm. making that effort. I'm sorry. You're, you're, you're actually not making that effort. It's not, it's, it's not brain surgery. It's comics. Like your your DC and Marvel just go say, hey black people, you want to work here? <laughs> a line will form. Yeah, it's not it, it's not it's it's not tough. And you're right to see like Joe just like sweep in and like say like, all right, here we go. Here's how you make comics. You know, it, it kind of puts them on notice. Hmm. Well, I don't want to get you guys too much off of your book and into the industry talk, even though God, I could always do that with such ease. Um, <laughs> Do you guys have plans for how long the story arc is going to be? Is this going to be a limited series? Do you think this is going to be a world where there could be different spinoffs if things sell really well, featuring different characters? Like, what is your vision for the world that you're building here? Right. So the, my original vision for this, uh, we were thinking that we were only going to do just three books, and I had kind of planned it out very much like, you know, Star Wars after it was like New Hope, you know, <laughs> um, The Empire Strikes Back and then, you know, Return of the Jedi kind of, you know, bookends. And the response has been so great that it's really made me think more about like what else we could do within this universe because this first part of the series, this first book is only six issues. And, you know, I'm realizing one in writing it, that there's just all of these great characters. In fact, you know, Tim had sent me over some designs recently for some just kind of like, you know, one-off characters. And I was like, the designs are so great. Like stories just started forming in my head immediately. And it just made me think that there's, you know, definitely a lot of territory to play uh, in here if people want to read more of these stories. Um, How I go about doing that uh, that might be a little unconventional, I I think, but I I definitely want to, explore more of this universe of people who are willing to take this ride with us. Like it. I, I feel like that it. I, I feel like uh when I go over it from my, my perspective uh with it it's like I in my mind I think like a lot of other people who hear the concept and who read read the issues, there any any good story, any good good book is gonna have you think more into it and wonder and wish what's going to happen next because that's that's keeping you engaged in it. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you're thinking of these characters or this story or this plot going in a direction it may or may not go in, but you're really excited, right? You, your mind is, is forming these these holes, uh, at least filling these holes out. So for me, when I do the character designs and and see what's going on in the in the book and quite give me a little insight on what's going to happen next or going to happen to a character. Like, I don't know if a character is going to, like, bite the dust or not. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, but this character is so cool. And I'm just <laughs> hoping that he he may may take that character further or not. But even if that character survives it or not, it's like to have the audience read that and want more of it, I know Kwan is going to deliver uh, something <laughs> something pretty <laughs> special to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things I enjoyed, particularly in the second issue, and I'm I'm not going to give any spoilers at all, um, is that, you know, there's a character who does something that could be construed as bad in the eyes of a lot of people. And if I was reading this comic by, if this comic was by some white dudes and this happened and these other characters repudiated this person on the page, I would be rolling my eyes about saying, like, is nobody looking at the different ways this action could have been interpreted? But because you guys are writing it, 
I know, oh, actually they are going to discuss whether or not that was the right move or the wrong move, and you will have multiple viewpoints of this, of this particular uh, problematic action. And that was proven to me by the end of the issue. Um, so I, I actually was, like, in a much better position to follow the story and, like, go along with what you were trying to play out because I knew that it wasn't just going to be this, like, really perfunctory analysis of right and wrong. Yeah, and that, that's that's kind of a, a, there are a lot of things that I'm trying to explore through each one of these chapters, and you know, have them cover certain themes. So, one of the things that I think you're talking about here is just basically like, you know, the role of of hate um, and discrimination, but also the role of government. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and how that plays into those things. And these are very real things that, you know, are happening today right now in our lives. And I wanted to, you know, apply, you know, some of that superhero trope to it to, you know, not only entertain, but also elevate those things in a way that would be familiar to a a comic book reader. So it's something that I'm very interested in continuing throughout the series is really continuing to meld these things together, these social issues with, you know, you know, comic, comic book entertainment as, as we tend to enjoy it. One of the things I like when, when I like, let's talk about the second issue a little bit. So when you, I'm not going to spoil it either. I'm going to do the best I can. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a really good read, right? Yeah, when that guy so, does the thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when the world explodes and everybody knows. <laughs> so when, at the end of the book, right, when you, when you, when you get to, like, step back, it's the quiet moments that, um, that have the most information. You know, like, I look at a lot of anime. I look at a lot of animation. And I, I pay attention to, like, what directors do. And it's not always about how much action or how much special effects happen in a scene. It's sometimes about that moment where nobody talks and people just look that you can really mm-hmm. get a feel and intensity of the situation and you can kind of come to grips with what the character's thinking. Uh, so at the end of this book, you kind of, for me, you kind of get that. And Jamal handles it, like, amazingly well when the dialogue has to go back and forth and you get to see people's expression. As an artist, you look at a you look at a certain artist when they draw, and you know I'm not gonna call out names or anything, but when they draw it out, they have this one facial expression that's for everybody. Eyebrows always go down, right, and they're always serious and angry. Lips never <laughs> open when they talk, right, but they could be totally happy and have the same exact expression, you know, and then I, they could be totally angry. And then you're like, all right, they're obviously angry. And then you read it and you're like, oh, they're not angry. They're actually making a joke right now. But you can't tell because the artists don't put facial expression. They don't let the quiet moments speak for themselves because they're so wrapped up into this cool, cool, hardcore look for the character. And where Jamal comes in with Kwanda's writing on those scenes, like at the end of the book, when you do get the nice recap of how these characters can feel, after all these major actions have been taken, is these expressions to go along with the words, and you really get it, let it hit you and sink into your head. I like it. I've got I a, like it. Um, I've got a question about the the second issue, and also trying not to spoil things. Um, you know, hopefully you guys read my review of it. Uh, you know, it feels like the the second issue had you know obviously you got themes throughout the the series so far, and the, the second issue specifically. Uh, you were really diving into like how uh, folks, you know, especially 
black and African-Americans present themselves to the rest of society. Um, and there's, you know, the one particular scene I thought was interesting where it kind of works on multiple levels is when they head, head to Louisiana and how one character presents to another. Um, and there's, you know, some back and forth with that. You have this debate going on of, of whether or not to bring out superpowers to the public. Um, you know, and I, and I, you know, me being political, I'm thinking of things where there's like criticism of Obama acting white, and and you know, when I was talk, uh, went to a speech uh, talk by Tanahasi Coates, and he was talking about code switching, and like all these things were kind of going through my head of you know possibly what the series is about, and like one, am I totally off in in my reading of that second issue in the series? Uh, but two is like, are, are you thinking of like those bigger themes as you write the series? Absolutely. I mean, part of part of what I'm you know, trying to display here for people is that you know all superhero or you know science fiction characters don't all have to be John Stewart. They're not all like these 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 one note characters. The, the the part of me trying to present like a, a cast that is heavily black is to give variety and show that there's different perspectives. One of the things that like I really admired about Milestone you know, when I was young, that it, that, that it really impressed upon me was a character like Icon, who was like, you know, this very conservative, lift yourself up by your kind of bootstraps character. He was like super Colin Powell, you know, and I thought that <laughs> was such a challenge to what people thought or expected they were going to get in a character like that, especially when he was wearing essentially like, you know, African colors for his costume in contrast to Superman, you know, American-inspired costume. So, you know, being able to present characters who have internal conflicts and who have different, uh, I don't know if I can even call them political because, I mean, it's, you know, it's, a, it, it's, it's more nuanced in the comic book, but different perspectives on how things mm-hmm. need to go and where their role is in there. You know, and that's how I use the lead character, Kareem, because not only is he young and new in this space, but he's also trying to figure out, like, who is he going to be in here and what's going on around him? What does he think about it? What's he going to do because of it? And in particular, because of him having a unique ability that he's still trying to learn and understand, like, you know, can he change it? Can he have any impact on it? And even within that, adding layers on where, because he's, you know, coming from quote unquote, the real world, he still has a lot of, a, a lot of that on him and he acts accordingly. So I try to make him, human and conflicted and dealing with all this because when you do try to take a character like this and say like, you know, what if only black people have superpowers? There's a lot of weight <laughs> on that, you know, especially in this world where it's not, it's not, it's not a, it's not an open thing necessarily. So it, it, you're, you're right in seeing those things. I'm definitely trying to create a lot of perspectives and convey them in the, in the pages that I have. Um, and and that's uh, it's a bit of a challenge, but I'm trying. One of the things I, I always ask people, uh, actually usually Brett asks people, but that we haven't done yet because we've been too engaged in the actual meat of the story, is what are the how did each of you guys get get in, involved in writing and drawing and, and working in the comics industry? Uh, um, do you want to take that one first? <laughs> okay, sure. Um, I knew that I wanted to work in comic books the minute I found out people made them. Like when I was a kid, I thought it was made by keyboard LG or whatever, but when it, it dawned on me that like people made these, I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. 
Um, and I was very like, you know, determined for, for that to happen. Um, and in particular, I actually got to meet with Dwayne McDuffie when I was like in like senior year of high school. Um, I had cold called Milestone and went in there to pitch you know, um, my really crappy ideas. And he was kind <laughs> enough to sort of impress upon me, like, you know, what, how the industry really operated and, you know, how I could, you know, get into the industry. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have even known that, you know, Marvel had an internship program. And so when I finally um, was able to get accepted into that program, you know, I got hired in the Marvel right after that. And so that was kind of like how I got in. But it was definitely something that I wanted to do from a very young age. Uh, sure, like, I still have my comics from when I was, like, five years old that I drew <laughs> somewhere. I got to see those, man. I got to see those. No, you really don't. You really don't. <laughs> They're pretty bad. <laughs> I I got into it like, I mean I was, I I think a lot of comic artists have a similar story in the beginning. It's something that appeals to them when they were younger. But um, for me it was it was wanting to kind of explore deeper into a universe that my father was actually uh, buying these comics and he would bring them home and it was always a good feeling. Uh, just reading these books that he would bring home and, and then we would go to the comic book shop together and he would buy me a cheeseburger and a comic. Like, that was his treat for me and that was, like, my special time. And I, it just felt so good that mm. I think I just wanted to learn how to draw it and how to... It was a good escape uh, from growing up, from all the, the craziness <laughs> around me and my, my neighborhood and whatnot. So just coming up with these stories and reading these stories, it just made me want to just keep pushing and and, and, and try to get better at it. it. It was definitely a moment where I thought I was just as good as any Jack Kirby or any popular artist who was, who was amazing when I was, like, 10. And obviously I wasn't. But to me, I was doing stuff equally as, as good as them. So for me to show that around and get, like, smacked down, and basically people telling me you suck. It was also something that encouraged me to keep pushing. So I could tell these stories and make people happy when they see it and uh, see my artwork just as much as you would see the professionals do it. What the, when you were both growing up, like what comics were you into in reading? Uh, I think I think the first comic that kind of got me... Um, into reading comics was probably Archie and the first one that sort of like caught my attention was uh, the Asgardian Wars but what turned me into a collector like what turned me into like a regular fan was Power Pack like Power Pack oh. has like a very dear dear place in my heart like I've often said like that would be the one comic that Marvel could coerce me into writing for them but they, it wouldn't happen <laughs> <laughs> so any amount of any bag of money that they hand you, you can do it. No, I'd, I'd have to say no on principle, but like it, it would it would it, it would definitely it would definitely be like me like making that like little cute baby mean face like. Oh, I really want to. It's like oh, I want to, but I'm not gonna. I would say if they go by their pattern, that means there should be one out about 2018 when the Hulu series hits. Oh, they're doing a Hulu series. 
Yeah, for Cloak and Dagger. Oh, no, wow. I said power pack. Oh, yeah, for Ooh. Cloak and Dagger. Or power pack, sorry. Yeah, there's, like, there's so much potential for good and so much potential for freaking awful. Like, that's, like, so high on my right. list of, like, you need a black showrunner for this or else this is not, like, I just don't know how you could possibly make it be okay otherwise. Wow. But it could be I think awesome. in the book he was, weren't they on drugs in the, in the original concept of it? Yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. teenage yeah. runaways, and there's drugs, yeah. and, like, you know. I mean, it was like a street I, story it, back yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah, but they, they were, like, interracial, superhero kind of couple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people can look at that really crazy, too. Like, uh, I'm not even going to go into it. But I think um, one, one of the books <laughs> that got me, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go to people for that. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that got me into reading comics was, uh, or one of the first books I really, I guess, explored the world of more and just thought about it more was Alien Legion. Um, I my dad bought like what? every comic book, but Alien Legion was like that was for mature readers, and I was a kid. <laughs> and my dad was like, "If it gets you to read, go for it." And that had like girls with like six boobs, and it was cussing, and it was like blood, and it was a deep story to it. I just loved it. <laughs> and he said, if I wanted to. Uh, write and draw comic books, I can write and draw whatever I wanted as long as I wrote and draw it and drew it. So I, like, pushed the envelope, and I created this, like, crazy little story, and I, I put as much curse words in it as possible. <laughs> and I was a kid, and I put as much, like, sex and violence in it as possible. And I gave it to him thinking, <laughs> like, oh, he's going to tear this apart. I'm going to get in trouble for it. And he was like, all right, good try. And do it again. And I was like, What? So Alien Legion became like my my Bible almost. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's really cool. I like it. Um, I sort of like who are the big influences for each of you guys as as creators? Uh, I think I already named uh, one. Dwayne McDuffie was huge uh, mm-hmm. impact on me. Um, I think. You know, again, going back to like Power Pack, like you know, writers like Louise Simonson and uh, artists like June Brigman definitely made me aware that there was a different sort of storytelling that was possible early on. So even when like I started to read the more mainstream stuff, like I kind of had my core credits, you know, built in something that wasn't necessarily roided up dudes and like you know whatever you call those thigh pouches that were really popular in the late 90s. <laughs> pouches, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so uh, I really I really like the, you know, artists like Art Adams. I think in terms of, like, writing, other writers, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I've, I digested so much, it's sometimes, like, really hard to, like, think about, like, who really, you know, definitively... It, it impressed something upon me. So I, I think the one that I always go back to is Dwayne McDuffie. So. Hmm. Yeah. For me, I guess, uh, like artist-wise, I like, uh, it, you know, it really depends on, I guess, like that moment in time and what you're thinking about because there's so many, but I can't like keep everything in my head. So I just kind of cling to what, my mind is swaying to. I'd say right now I've been thinking a lot about acting like Jack Kirby, just on just doing something groundbreaking. Um, 
being a workhorse, like he was pumping out giant boards. They weren't like the small board, well, not small, but 11 by 17 is like your average board today, depending on the artist, right? It's like your average size. That guy was drawing like mm-hmm. gigantic pages of stuff like every second of kicking it out. It was something really profound and new at the time. And then, like, I like that. I like the idea of it. I like the style of it. And I also like, like Miyazaki films. Like, I just read he's coming back out of retirement to do another film. So, like, this is, yeah. like, your yeah. first time coming out of retirement. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he's I was talking about that. He's coming back out again. Yeah. No, no, he's coming back. <laughs> so, I'm like, like, I love looking at Miyazaki films, and I like the way he, he tells his stories, he, he, and he draws it. He gets in there, and he draws it uh, for those characters. And I even read that when he comes up with the uh, with the work. And I couldn't be wrong, but I know I read this somewhere, that he actually creates it as he goes, which is a nightmare for the creative team because they have to change things when they completely finish this entire scene. He was like, going to a direction. He's like, oh, wait, you know what? This isn't working. Backtrack. Redo it. And they were like, what? And I, I like that as much as that must be a pain for the poor people that have to work with them on it. I, I've been thinking about his work as well, just like the amount of skill it takes to do what he does. So I guess my influences or, or, or areas of interest when I think about what I do, it could come from any direction. You know, it's kind of funny you say that, Tim, because I think, like, we're kind of taking that approach, too. Like, we've got, you know, we've got the framework there, and it's pretty tight, but we're really flexible and open. You know? Yeah. So it's not like we, we've, we've done nothing that's set in stone until we set it into the stone. And it's like, all right, right. that's done. I I don't know, like, when when you say, like, that's Miyazaki's approach, I'm like, hell, obviously it's not wrong. No, <laughs> it can't be wrong. Yeah, it can't be wrong. And I think that's one of the things that helps the story. Like, when when we, you can't live in a box, especially with something like what, what, what Black is about, you know, this ever-changing thing to keep it really organic so that our audience can really feel and understand it. And you don't have to actually have gone through uh, any particular struggle of any particular person on the planet to understand what they're going through. But to keep it loose enough to be able to create and not confine yourself, you know, like, and, and, and pigeonhole yourself, to be able to write yourself out of it or draw yourself out of it and readjust it and go back into it with a fresh new look, I think that's that's, that's what I love about Miyazaki. And, and I think it reflects in his movie. That's why it's so great um, is to be able to do that. For folks who don't know his work, which would make me sad, I guess, like, he's the director, creator of, like, Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away would be the two biggest films of his that, that folks might know. Definitely masterpieces, really absolute masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, those are, those are good stuff. <laughs> yeah, didn't he do uh, the, was the Lupin movie? The, gosh, what's the name of that movie? Yeah, he did. The one where... I, yeah, he did that one movie where he Calastro or something. Oh, gosh darn it. Uh, Astro Boy? Or... Something like that. That was a great thing. I don't know. You're talking about the that one where the guy's like a pilot, but he's got a pig face, right? <laughs> oh, no, not that bad. He did that one, too. Oh, no, that's Porco Rosso. Sorry. No, okay. This is gone yeah, way over Cagliostro. That's what you're thinking, right? Yeah, 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 that's it, that's it, that's it. Yeah, that's the one he did. That was amazing. When I saw that as a kid, I must have saw it like a million times. And that, that's like, 
one of the movies I always think about where you 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 just you can put so many elements uh in there for character development uh and you can't go wrong once you follow like what he does or what Pixar does like those storytelling elements that you put into a book you can't go wrong and and just to go back to like how Miyazaki keeps things really organic uh ever changing but keeping focus to like the main plot of the story something that everyone relates to uh, kind of like how we're trying to do for black. It's like, it, it makes it easy. It makes it easy to create, um, at least, or it makes it fun to create. Definitely. I, I think it's a it's a method of storytelling where I, you often hear writers talk about it, but I really do feel like, you know, a lot of these characters are growing organically and I'm sort of just documenting their adventure. Like, I have these ideas, but then as we move through it and they actually have to deal with them. Like it's so, it somehow sort of like changes and shifts. And it's the same thing with, you know, the designs of them too. Like when Tim and I work together, like I'll describe to him what I'm thinking. And sometimes it's exactly, you know, what was in my head. And then sometimes it's just something so wildly, it's such a wild and different interpretation of it that it inspires something completely different and new in my mind and my way of thinking about uh, character. Hmm. Oh, I'm getting a little bit of. Uh, oh no, sorry. I heard. I was having some background noise. I think I got rid of it. Is every is everybody else hearing stuff okay? I can't hear yeah, something, I, but okay. I can. I can yeah, still I hear, hear something. You. I have no idea what it's called. Yeah, causing it. Okay. Sorry about that. Um. Oh, one of the one of the questions that I sort of had, you know, when I first saw the concept of the comic, I, I I didn't really realize that you guys were going in the sort of a sci-fi explanation of the superpowers. I'd kind of taken them mm-hmm. to be coming like from the mystical side of it, and and since I assumed they were coming from the mystical side of it, I figured like, okay, race is socially constructed, and and people, you know, if, if, if they're black, if they're black, and and that's what their powers come from, and I didn't really think about the mechanics of it all. But you guys actually are doing it from the science side of things, and you're talking about things like quarks. And then the whole question, mm-hmm. again, comes back to, like, race, you know, being socially constructed and, and who is black in the context of the story. And we're very early, so there's a very good chance that you're going to be like, yep, we're talking about that in issue seven. But I was just curious <laughs> if you had thoughts about how you guys were handling that question in, in, in light of the science explanation for, for the right. superpowers. Well, that's one of the one of the reasons why we go into like uh, quantum science uh, in, in terms of understanding the source of these powers is because I'm just like a huge nerd, and I've really been into quantum physics and trying to understand this stuff lately. But it's such it's such like out there science that it's mm. been it's been it's been liberating and challenging at the same time. Because it, it's it's like studying like the the fundamentals of everything that we know essentially. So that that part's been fun to explore in the story. And the the other part of it is is that you know like you say, what is blackness? It, it, it's very interesting in our society that you know we often say that you know Barack Obama is our first black president, and if there's one thing that is is known in the black community is that. You know, you, you're you're always black. You're never white. Your mama might be white, but you're never white. Mm-hmm. And it's a strange construct construct of society yeah. because you know, like 
you look at Obama, he's just like he's obviously half white. Trevor Noah is obviously half white, but no one will ever ever call them that. And and I think mm-hmm. that we we need to challenge ourselves with that. And the story does you know have parts of that in there because you know obviously we've attached this these abilities to race, but you know I'll you know, point out right now one character, because this isn't necessarily a spoiler unless you, you know, are paying attention. It's not something that's come up yet, but one of the characters, Zero, is albino. So, you know, I, I am throwing some curveballs in there for people to, like, think about, you know, what I'm actually saying this is. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything as of yet, but, you know, it, it's definitely not intended to be what you expect. Hmm. That's really cool. I, I mean, I, I would expect no less. <laughs> and in terms of like going the science route of things, like did, what, did you guys like really weigh into mapping out how the science of this stuff is working or is it like Star Trek? Yeah. So it, it's, I don't know if anybody who's listening or if you guys have ever, like, really delved into, you know, how quarks work, <laughs> like, super subatomic particles, but it is some crazy stuff that, like, will really challenge your imagination because to 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 the extent that, you know, what they're doing, you know, at CERN with, like, the Haldron Collider, it's just, it's just really, like, you with your chemistry set when you were a kid. Like, you didn't have any idea what the hell you were doing. You just knew if you poured some stuff on some stuff, some stuff happened. <laughs> like, so it's really, again, like I said, it's fun and liber- liberating, and you're kind of learning as you go. So, you know, I'm constantly, you know, reading these science journals. I'm constantly watching, like, YouTube videos on this stuff to t- try and get a handle on this. But the fun part about it is that even the science of it really plays into science fiction because you know, it's sort of a kind of anything goes area of science. You know, it's, it's more about exploration as opposed to definitive answers. Like there's things that we've sort of figured out the answers for, like gravity. But when you get into the realm of quantum physics, you know, you're, you're very much dealing with like, you know, maybes. And <laughs> we don't know yet. <laughs> and we're trying to figure that out. And, and I think, and I think that's, that's a fine place to play in because, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a given if you read, like, the X-Men, you're just like, well, you know, they have genetic mutations and that's why they have powers, but their powers are so vast and different. You're like, but no, but really, what's the <laughs> difference between Cyclops being able to shoot lasers out of his eyes and Iceman being able to turn into, like, a popsicle? Like, that's not even how matter works. So <laughs> you're, you're You mean, you mean yeah. people just can't turn into popsicles? <laughs> and magnetism means all kinds of things, you know. It's yeah, so that's kind of the, that's kind of the really fun part about it, to say like I'm gonna use like some real science, but some real science that we have not figured out yet. <laughs> well, is there a limit to what the characters can do? I mean, it, since the series is like so science based, you know, are are you doing crazy things with it, or are you trying to keep the powers somewhat realistic? Uh, I'm I'm playing with various things. I mean, w- one of my favorite things about uh, comic book characters is when you got like the really weird ones. You know, the ones like I I, I like that era era of the '90s where there were suddenly suddenly there was kind of a Generation X sort of character that was coming into play where you had a character like Skin. Like I love that character. 
like he had six feet of extra skin. It's like, wow, that's that sucks. But that's kind of cool. <laughs> but that really sucks. <laughs> yeah. Or or like Chamber, where it's just like, ah, oh, I can shoot blast, but I blew half of my face off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I dug those characters, man. It's just like it was like I felt like that was one like series that just kind of got wasted. Like I I, th- I thought it was like maybe too progressive for like Marvel to really handle because like if there was something that really like did kind of capture what Generation X was in terms of like you know the the Kurt Cobain era of like music and stuff like that, those characters definitely impacted on my brain. You know you know, how to create different characters. And there, and there was some other iterations of it. Like, you got, like, a Marrow character. Like, Marrow came in the play, and then, like, characters like Maggot. And those are the characters that, when I saw them in stories like X-Men, I really started to dig. But then, you know, it kind of just went back to the status quo of, like, the pretty mutants and Nightcrawler. So, it's like... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's like this thing where it's like I really, I really do want to play with that kind of stuff. So in issue two, um, you know, if you go out and read it, like one character actually does express their powers, and it does have a lasting effect on them. So it's this sort of thing yeah. where I definitely want to play with those those things and show where you know there's some there, there's benefit and for some there's curse. Are you like? Did you create rules for it? Yeah, I try to play by some physical rules just because it's fun. So there, there is one character that I'm building towards in the story, and when you see kind of like how his power actually works, it'll it, it really is me having fun with physics <laughs> and really playing with like you know how things operate in 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 the actual world and not in the world where you can say speed force does it. You know. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of Speed Force. Like, I have no idea what that really means. <laughs> speed Force is great. I, and, and, and I'm going to tell you guys right now, I'll out myself, I am the biggest, biggest Flash nerd like, on the planet. Okay. I love Flash. But mm-hmm. Speed Force is like the laziest name for anything ever. <laughs> Man, I have no idea. It's like, they, they all can tap. It's like, it's, first of all, it's like 60 Flashes out in the world. It's a bunch of people who can yeah. run. They all tap into the Speed Force. Like, yeah. I like, like Black Tuba, man. I wish they had called it just like Juice. It's like, you got to <laughs> instead. You know? like, just get Omar Epps back just to say that line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I like that character, though. Where did the lightning come from? I have no idea. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh-huh. I always like the idea that his, his, his clothes was in a ring. I don't even know how that was possible, but I thought that was pretty yeah. awesome. He could pop it well, out now, of his ring. I don't even know if he still does it. Well, now they can create their clothes either. from the Speed Force itself, so go figure on that one. Oh, wait. Well, I, I guess really that's what comes speed from force. the Speed Force. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm so effective. Guys. I'd be so effective in my job fighting the man if I had <laughs> tap into the Speed Force to both clothe myself and be able to get more work done in a day. My God. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't put clothes in that ring. I put all kinds of stuff in that ring. Sandwiches, pies, <laughs> you know, the little snakes that jump out, you know. It's like, I'll do all kinds of stuff. And I have like 60 rings on me. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a party every day. You're going to hate me. <laughs> the bat belt, you've got just rings all over the place. 
Oh my God, dirty no, underwear! I'm, I'm just doing everything in that ring. It's just coming out. No, I'm just thinking like it's Brad Pitt just walking around that ring, going, "What's in the ring?" <laughs> oh, you think I could get a person in that ring? Is that what you're saying? I could put a person in that ring? That'd be awesome. Put a chicken in it. <laughs> just pop it out with the speed force. That's great. That's for that love. Um, so you guys uh, took the, the comic to Kickstarter. One, why why'd you decide Kickstarter? Um, and like, what are some of the lessons that you learned uh, going through it? Um, I, I went to Kickstarter for, in particular, for validation. You know, it, it's one of the things that I, I found, you know, interesting about working on Zuda, and that inspired me in working on it is that, you know, getting the validation of, of fans, getting people invested is like really important. Like a lot of, you know, the industry is built on like legacy and people already having like a built in love and investment for stuff, but really presenting people with a new idea and and finding an audience for it. I I really felt like if people didn't accept this through Kickstarter and were willing to like not only donate their time to like, you know, even entertain it, but then also their money to it, if they didn't, if they weren't willing to do that, then there was no reason for me to, you know, even pursue making it. So it really was about finding out whether this was something people were interested in. Um, and Kickstarter mm-hmm. is just a great platform to do that. You know, it didn't exist, you know, a while ago. So it's kind of a nice thing that's out there, especially for all these other young creators who are really trying to, like, you know, fit into, like, what comics is and maybe don't quite know or haven't really caught on. It's like that they can just do this stuff themselves. It's like we really don't need another Superman artist. You know, there's like 50 guys in line waiting to do that job. What we need is like, you know, a new character who can, you know, change our perception on what being a, a hero is. Because we've seen this guy before, you know, he's, he does the cats in the trees and throw on asteroids. With with uh, the kick, uh, Kickstarter, it's, it seems to be interesting in that it helps build a community out of it. Uh, it seems like a lot of the creators go back over and over and, and kind of really get jump-started when it, um, in that aspect and, and, and community and, and really leveraging that for you know going forward and creating comics seems to be such a huge thing nowadays. Can you speak a little bit to that at all? Um, that absolutely. You know, I mean, uh, you know, part of my part of my like, day job is like I work in marketing and, and social media marketing, and you know, from do it from, that came out of working on Zuda, and Zuda was very much about building a community and actually engaging your fan and not having like a lot of distance between you and them. And that was something that I felt like was really important, you know, because if you're really asking somebody to invest their time and money, you, you really want to be able to, like, talk directly to them and kind of understand, like, you know, what your content means to them and, and you know, whether or not they're invested in what you're doing. I think one of the things that I really learned from doing the Kickstarter was just that, you know, how much doing something like this meant to people. And usually you, you you expect to like put out a comic book and people just become fans and stuff like that. But when people tell you that it means something to them and that they're really happy that you made it, like that that's kind of a different you know thing. Like I don't I don't know for a fact. Like I, you know you've heard stories of people saying like you know this this 
this comic book like really had an impact on me, but like to have people like thank me for making black was like something that I, I wasn't expecting at all. Yeah, that is definitely um to kinda of go out with Kwanza just said on that part, it it was very satisfying. Satisfying to see and read uh the support of everyone coming on and being really excited about about it like that. Like, like I've been waiting for this forever, or thanks for doing this. Like thanking, thanking us. Like, thank you. You know, <laughs> that's 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 definitely been uh, something on my my end. Like really, really surprising, overwhelming, and really happy to see just any creator would would do something like that, and other people respect it and respond to it. But definitely towards the project that we're working on. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was also going to say like. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go, go ahead. No, well, it's like Kickstarter is a good way to to reach out, obviously to a mass audience. But like thinking about it more recently, like I'm I'm a comic book guy. I've done the shows like Comic Cons. You basically you go, you get a table, you set up, you put your stuff on a table, and you sit there and you hope and wonder to get people's attention to come over and take a look at it. It's almost like the first Kickstarter before Kickstarter was a Kickstarter. It was just like going to person to person or going to trade shows and showing it off and trying to get the attention of people. But even when you do that, you're still kind of, uh, as, as as much as you're doing it for yourself so that others could, uh, in, in this endeavor, and you can continue to do it, you're still kind of at the mercy. You feel like you're at the mercy of this person or people, people like you're pleading for them. Almost, and it's which is good and bad because sometimes you can feel like you see the expression on their faces. So it's kind of like when they look at your work, they're gonna make or break you. When you look at it, and then they just keep walking, and you're just kind of like, oh man, I don't think this is gonna work. And you can feel defeated when you should keep trying because you never know. When Kickstarter, because you don't have that, you don't get to see their faces. You just get to see the response. And it's something about that that makes you keep going and keep believing in what you're doing. Uh, to get it out into the world. Even if the Kickstarter doesn't prove to be successful, you still have this project that you completed and you put up online and it's there and you don't have to answer to anybody when you did it. Hopefully it gets funded. But even if it doesn't, you still have this product that has reached people and you get this feedback without having to hear or see the attitude directly, but just enough to, to know where you're going with it. It's pretty. It's, it's a nice feeling to uh, go that route. With with the um, Kickstarter in general, and like and like digital comics as a whole, I mean, you both have been in the industry for such a long, you know, for a long time, and it's been through while you know there's upheaval and and shift has been going on. I mean, for you personally, do you see the technology and and things like Kickstarter like really democratizing comics, or is it just like another tool? for creators to use? I think Kickstarter definitely because what I've seen on there is people, especially like, you know, web comics artists who really have, you know, been, you know, the frontiers uh, people of, you know, building audiences online, then come to Kickstarter in order to, you know, make new products and put books together. And, and they've really seized on it and, and kind of crushed in this world, in this sphere where, I don't even think like 
what we call comics is aware that these people exist, like amazing, talented storytellers are, you know, putting out really fantastic stuff, you know, via that platform. Um, but when it comes to digital itself, I think it has, you know, especially, you know, mainstream digital comics has kind of like pushed that stuff, you know, back. And what I've seen is a, a digital sphere that has adapted to print, but I haven't seen a lot of content that has, you know, adapted to digital. You know, we, we've seen attempts, but it's always been through this perspective of I am telling a comic book story and I'm, and I'm kind of trying to shoehorn it into something. So I've, I've not seen something yet that is natural to the digital experience, to the way we consume digitally. And it's it's tough and interesting because I mean when you really look at you know the the rise of micro content you know it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see like how do I how do I tell like a longer form story if people only have an attention span of goldfish you know like where mm-hmm. where it's sitting there so it's it'll it'll be interesting to me to see how comics can make that leap you know we've seen some attempts with like platforms like you know Spila. Um, and and made fire, and they haven't really trans translated over. Um, so I, I don't I don't know when it comes to digital, but I definitely think Kickstarter is just huge for innovation and great ideas. Yeah, I, I think that yeah, Kickstarter for sure is reaching not only uh, your family members and your close friends and and new people who. <clears throat> You know, speak, speak, and read comics in your vicinity or in your country, but it can reach uh, worldwide uh, audiences. To if, if one way of thinking isn't so popular in one area, it could be in another. It's always those possibilities, um, and that's what digital can do. That print may prove to be a little harder to do because you have to go through a lot more to get the the material around the world in people's hands in like five minutes versus you know weeks, months to get to get to that person in another corner of the planet. Um, but as far as, like, the, the bridge between print and digital, as far as, I guess, people buying or what's with, with swaying between the two to, to make that gap, it, it is, it's funny. You can come up with something, like, really innovative with a comic book. You could make it 3D, special effects, and, and uh, interactive. You could touch the screen and they, maybe they'll talk or something, move or something like that. You could do crazy stuff to it, but... Uh, for some reason, you, it, it may not make that look and feel of what you're used to reading as just a comic book. You know, you, if you're letting your imagination kind of take over uh, versus something taking over for you and thinking for you. Some books are really cool when they do it. Certain ones aren't made, and they're trying to, like like Claudia said, like shoehorn their way into this new technology to make it that way, but they really haven't explored or thought about creating for that technology. Just kind of like try to funny way of jigsawing their book or or a project into it. I think once devices and, and thinking and engineering can, can, can bring that experience of making a comic uh, not hard to do for these devices, will probably make it excel better and people can't really get their eyes around it. Yeah. I actually to just wanted to jump on that one thing that you did yeah. say, Tim, because that is the thing that I do love about digital. Because you know, I I stayed in the digital sphere and didn't really get into print until this project, and that's the thing that I always loved about it was that ability to like 
instantly get your story to people no matter where they were. And that's why I've been surprised that we haven't had that yet. Like, we haven't had that, like, big boom yet of, like, digital or, like, comics in this way where I think we all expect it or, like, think that it should probably be more widely accepted than Mm -hmm. it is. But... You know, it, it, it's it's a thing where it's just like, yeah, but you don't have to go to the store. <laughs> you know? Or you right. can just, like, start reading something when you're, you know, in the bathroom. <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, I think it might it might just be the execution. I think it, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a part of that execution is, like, key. Like, you look at, like, other countries uh, other than the United States, right, like like Asia, who use comic market. And Quan and I, we have these conversations a lot because we both respect and love that those art forms as well. Like, you have, they have digital platforms that show digital comics, and it's like weekly. Some of them are almost daily. We have some material, it may not be like hundreds of pages, but you have material that's accessible and it's there. And I'm not going to say that every comic I've seen uh, looks amazing because they don't. But conceptually, they look great. They read great. I'm in, I'm out. I got a little story, and it was fun to read and, and look at. And I didn't have to, like, look at the anatomy or the storytelling to be phenomenal. And it it didn't take a month to do it and get out into the world. It didn't pass by, like, a million people's hands to get it out into the world. And I'm sure there are independent artists who are probably doing it right now in this country and just haven't seen or had that lucky breaker right in the light of day to, to get it out there. And unfortunately, I can't read everything. But there is that, that gap of function, of form follows function. And if the form isn't, like, following the function as the device or whatever it is it's being made for to do it, then there will be a disconnect. And until that bridges, you know, you won't, you won't get it. It's same thing like looking at video games. Like, why is people still playing Mario Brothers? You know, and you have Halo and all these other, like, super glossed-out, polished, orchestrated video games out into the world that take years to create. And then you have, like, Mega Man that's still hitting the shelves and and people <laughs> love it. You know what I mean? Like, is, is it about uh-huh. graphics? Is it about, like, or is it about accessibility and just getting there and the basic concept of form follows function, having fun with it and, and, uh-huh. and seeing something innovative that was created long ago but still relevant today, uh, but training for new platforms. You can get this stuff in HD and people still download it. It's like, that's crazy. It must mean something to the buyer and to the creator. Well, think about it, the, that Nintendo redone uh, box that just came out, sold out in a matter of minutes, and people are going crazy for it, yet you can get any yeah, of the games Yeah, I, I tried to on... get that. <laughs> yeah, I... I there and stared at it for about five seconds and I'm like, I already have all these on my Wii. I really don't need another version of the same game. I know, right? Uh, but people still buy it. People are still yeah. buying it. It's yep. insane. I'm, I looked at the line. I was at, I'm in New York, right? So I'm at the Nintendo store and I'm like, should I get it? And before I, I can even make that decision, I saw the line going down the block. I'm like, nope, I'm not getting it. <laughs> I'm not waiting this line. What are you, crazy? It'll come out eventually and I'll just get it when it comes out. But the fact that it was a long line of people and it sold out right on the spot. It's like people still want it. Yeah. I mean, since you, you two are, you know, looking at the forefront of this, um, I, you know, we've had you for a little over an hour, so we probably should start wrapping up. But, you know, for you two who have really kind of pushed the boundary with the series, 
in so many ways. You know, do do you feel it's going to be, you know, people in the industry currently that are going to push it to that next level, like we're, we were just kind of talking about, or is it going to take someone else who we don't know about yet to to really get things going? Uh, I think that depends because what we tend to see, like cyclically, is that you know, someone appears outside of the industry and then, you know, the industry comes in with their big bags of money to sort of like validate them and then they're internalized. And, you know, I could say that like if I have, you know, the good fortune of having, you know, a really great career, not just with black, but with anything else that I write, that, you know, I have zero uh, investment in making, you know, Marvel and I pull matter more money. I do not want to make, DC more money like those are great properties that we can all sit there and enjoy but I'm not going to apply my talent towards that um, and I don't you know hold anything against anyone who does that and I think that contributes to like some really great comic book tapestries but in the long run I think you know the real stories the, the, the great things that are happening should are likely to be found outside of the market you know I, re- I really think like the individuals are tapping onto something and it's not about like, you know, writing the umpteenth like Spider-Man fight, the Green Goblin story. It's about coming up with like something else, you know, because like there, there is a certain point and maybe it's just because like I'm, I'm older, you know, as a fan where I'm just like, no, you should just kill him. I know it's not what you're going to do. Kill that dude. Like, like, I, I read enough. I read enough. Just yeah. go ahead and kill him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think audiences right now are are ready to see new uh, ways of of telling stories. So I don't. I'm not going to sit here and have all the knowledge that yeah, there's this messiah of minority comics just waiting out, just waiting for that opportunity to just rise up from the ranks. And I have no idea about all that, but I think the audience is open and willing to look at it now more than they ever have been, and hopefully that continues to grow, uh, where we can all just look at a story and just see a great story. I love to get to that point where you, we just see a great story. It doesn't have to be shaded with any particular uh, coating of color or anything like that. It's already, and we're open to seeing that, but until then, at least the audience is willing to invest and look at something different and acknowledges the fact that it's something different and want to check it out. That's pretty good for now. For me, it's great. Cool. Uh, so on that note, uh, as I said, we've, we've had you for, for quite a while. Um, you know, we give our guests, you know, the as we kind of begin to wrap up, the platform to plug whatever they want to plug. You know, Obviously, you've got the comic, but more importantly, where people can find you, where they can actually get the comic, um, and so they can keep in tr- touch. Sure. Um, you can find more information about Black at uh, blacksuperpowers.com. Um, you can find us on our like, social media handles on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram primarily. Our handle there is Black Superpowers, but without the E because the handles can only be so many characters. <laughs> I think uh, in terms of promoting anything, like I'd like to promote uh, that people who don't want uh, anti-Semite, misogynistic, sexist, 
white supremacists anywhere near the White House should call their uh, representatives and tell them that they do not want Steve Bannon anywhere near the White House. He is an yep. uh, incredibly disgusting yep. human being, and we should do everything as Americans to ensure that he does not have the ear of our upcoming president. Yeah, he's absolutely terrifying, and I'm absolutely furious at all the organizations that are refusing to label him as such. And I think we need to keep track of like which organizations are speaking out and which ones don't, and take upon that action ourselves to make sure that it doesn't happen. Like, it's just terrifying and disgusting. I, you know, I wasn't really sure how I wanted to begin the episode today with respect to acknowledging like the fear and and pain that people are in right now. And it's still really hard to figure out how to talk about that in in this context, because, you know, this is something that we want people to enjoy and, and, and feel inspired by when they listen to it. But, um, you know, I just hope that folks in the comics community feel comfortable sharing with each other about uh, how they're feeling and protecting each other and, like that the work of protecting each other doesn't should not always be a, stuck in the hands of women and people of color and LGBTQ people and that we need like white dudes to actually help and show support as well. Um, and, and that I think we have a lot of potential to, like we're all storytellers in this area and we're good at talking about finding better ways to do things. Um, but I think that, people need to hold themselves accountable to, to do more than they've done before. And I, and I think right. it's also about acknowledging the labels that unite us because you know, when I make that statement you know, that Americans should not accept people like that in our seats of government, I, I mean that, you know, being an American, you know, sort of is the umbrella under which we all share this country. And it, also represents the fundamental thing that we all universally tend to like say are not acceptable in our country, and he represents a lot of what's not acceptable. And I and I think that's 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 a fair thing to say that most Americans agree with. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. Thank you. You know, it's it, this is definitely the right comic to talk about post-election, and um, I really appreciate your time and your thoughtfulness. Thanks for having us on the show. I end on a somber note. Let's talk about Power Pack again for one minute. It was really great. (laughs) They were adorable little kids with powers. They turned into clouds, and rainbows came out of them when they flew around. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, to even put more nerdy cred on me or just nerd label on me, so there's a game called HeroClix where you can play... Uh, like Marvel characters, DC heroes, all that stuff, like miniature game. And when I found out that there was a power pack team, I had to get it. So Wait, I had like, what? All, yeah. So I had the members and they're like horribly underpowered. They basically get their asses kicked. Like they're just horrible characters <laughs> in the game, but I still had to play. I did not care. It was one of those like, I'm principal. I'm doing this. Hey, it's about I'm the fun factor, right? right now to get my power. Oh, <laughs> there goes your night. Oh my god! Awesome. <laughs> so someone just clearly googled it. <laughs> <laughs> that was fast, man. My gosh. 
I told you guys, I nerd hard. It's not a joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get the power pack awesome. button on your keyboard. Well, on a positive note, awesome. man. Uh, thank you, guys, uh, and we'll definitely have to have you back. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Yep. Yeah, thank thank you, you so much. Thank you very much. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, folks can find Graphic Policy uh, uh, well, I was going to say before before we even do that. Uh, so for those who are interested in Black, uh, you can get it on digital services. I'm pretty sure Comixology has it. Um, I'm about to go double check. Uh, definitely go and get it. It's a fantastic series. It's we need more of it. Um, yeah, I mean this is uh, in a shitty time. Uh, we need more comics like that that uh, actually speak the truth and give a different perspective than I think what we all are, uh, you know, sometimes we all get wrapped up in. So go get it. It's really good. It's pretty awesome. Um, but, yeah, other than that, you can find us. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to make oh. sure that we, we got that. No, that's important. People know where yeah. to buy it, indeed. Yes, go buy it. And then if you want physical copies, go to your store and demand it. They can order it for you. There's a comic shop locator, I believe, is the website, comicshoplocator.com, and you can go find local shops or maybe use the Yellow Pages. They do exist still. Um, you can Google what? it and find them. <laughs> or Google. Google will tell you where your local comic shop is. I love doing that, going to random areas and just typing in comic shops and seeing what comes up. Um and you can ask them for, for Black. They'll, they should be able to order it. Uh, as I said, the second issue came out last week. The reprint of the first issue, I believe, came out in the same week. So you, know, you should be able to get it. All right, back on track. Uh, so for those who want comic news, you can check us out every day at graphicpolicy.com or on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy. And thanks for listening. I'm pretty sure we'll be back next week. I don't know if we have a guest or what the plan is, but we'll do something fun. We need uplifting stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but you'll be able to listen to this episode on iTunes in probably an hour or two. It'll be on Stitcher in probably an hour or two. And then tomorrow will be uploaded on, uh, on SoundCloud and posted to the site. So you can listen to it again, share it with your friends. Um, and please, uh, vote for it. You know, if, if you listen to it on iTunes, like give it a whatever star rating, five star rating, um, thumbs up wherever, share it. We much appreciate it. Like it. Uh, so thank you as always for listening and until next and time, the, um, well, yeah, you can follow you. Yeah. Your stuff. My Twitter account. Thanks. Sorry. My Twitter <laughs> account, which is so exciting right now because there's amazing stuff going down in New York. Um, is E L A N A underscore Brooklyn. And, uh, that's where you'll find me on Twitter all the damn time. <laughs> and graphic policy is at graphic policy on Twitter. Yes. So, yeah, um, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, Until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky.